Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. All right. Happy new school year. Welcome to FaithBridge today. Whether you're here at the Klein Campus, Center Court East, or Center Court West, whether you're online somewhere near or far, uh, whether you're at the Woodlands Campus, where I got to be last week and had a blast and got to meet, I love going up there because there's so many new things, get to meet some new people, got to meet uh, Johnny and Jessica, a couple from Hawaii and Tennessee and together Florida and now here and they're coming to FaithBridge and it's awesome. It's just uh, good to be a part of things that are going on up at the Woodlands campus. So welcome, regardless of where you are. Take your Bible, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter, and if you need a Bible, just wave down an usher that are coming in the aisles, every room. They'll be glad to let you have one, and we're going to start in today on a five-part series based on the middle section of 1 Peter, and in this section, Peter is going to talk with us about relationships. Specifically, he's going to talk about five relationships. What is the Christian's relationship to be with his government, with her government, How do we Christians relate with the government? And then with our boss, how do we do that at work? And then with our wife, and then with our husband, and then with each other in the body of Christ. So it's gonna be an interesting series uh, talking about these relationships uh, from this middle section of 1 Peter. We decided that we would name the series Surrender. Here's the reason why, because what we're gonna learn through these passages is that the key to every healthy relationship is a humble, surrendered heart. That's the key to functional relationships. But I don't suppose I have to convince you that surrendering, submitting ourselves to the wishes of others, that doesn't come easy for any of us, right? I was reminded of it uh, just several days ago with uh, one of my sons, whom in a certain setting, I overheard to say something to an adult figure that was inappropriate, rude. And the adult figure was gracious to sort of overlook it, and they just kind of kept going. But I knew as his dad, I can't do that. So that evening, we were together, and I said, hey, son, by the way, I want to talk about a a situation that I noticed today. He's like, okay. So he came over, and we start to talk, and I I begin to paint the picture, and his eyes are telling me, well, this is not the conversation I was hoping for. I played back the scene, and I said, you know, that what you said was rude. And you know how in our family, we talk about, like, yes, ma'am. No, sir, thanks, please. Those kind of words, manners, you know, and respect to authority, you know. And he's nodding. And and I said, so why did you say what you said? He thought about it seriously for a moment. And then he said, well, because, Dad, sometimes I just don't feel like saying ma'am or sir or please or thanks. And I said, I don't know. I got that part. But I'm trying to get to the why. Why did you, why don't you feel that? He thought about it again, and he says, well, Dad, 
I think it's because with some people, I just feel like I'm better than them. Now, I almost laughed, but I didn't because I realized he was being totally honest and he had just dared to say something aloud that every one of us thinks from time to time. I'm just a little bit better than them, especially when it comes to certain individuals or certain authority structures in our lives. You know this is true. Come on, come think about this. Picture yourself at the courthouse. Why? Because you have to go there to get a new license plate or tag, right? And so you're in this, this herd of a 500 people waiting in line to get up, and you see the clerks up there, and several of them are bantering back and forth about their weekend and the movies they saw, and you find yourself thinking, I'm just a little bit better than having to do this, right? You ever felt that? I'm surely, I'm not the only one, all right? And then, or at the courthouse, maybe you go over and you have jury duty. And so you're kind of moved with this herd over here and then into this room. and, And, you know, the people who are moving you around, you're like, wow, you know, really? Is this the way I'm gonna spend my day? And you think to yourself, you know, you don't say it, but you just kind of think, I'm just a little bit better than that. Or going to, to, um, the DPS, because you got to get a new driver. Same deal. You're standing in line, and, and you're like, really, am I doing this? And, and see, if we're not careful, we can get, all of us give in to this tendency to think, you know, I, I'm just a little bit better than them, which can lead to sort of a, a passive-aggressive uh, attitude and response in our lives if we're not careful. Sort of like the little boy who was jumping up and down on the sofa in the living room and his mom finally had had enough of it and said, son, sit down or else you're gonna have a consequence. And so he finally mustered all the self-control he could and constrained himself and he sat down and after a moment of silence, he broke the silence and he said, well, mommy, my outsides are sitting down but on the inside, I'm still jumping up and down. And you know, I think there's a lot of us grown-ups, we do the very same thing. We respond in that childlike sort of way to authority structures in our life. Small things, small things like parking violations. Ah, I'm just a little bit better than this or subtly sabotaging things at work. Why? Because I just feel like I need to stick it to the man, right? Or going up a notch to some bigger things like exaggerating expense reports. Why? Well, I'm just a little bit better than them. Violating speeding limits to even bigger things like outright tax evasion embezzlement, drunk driving, you know, um, any of which just screams out to the world, the laws of this land don't apply to me. I'm just a little bit better than all this, right? And especially in our current politicized, highly charged uh, uh, environment in which we're living right now, uh, with Questions of who's going to be in charge and um, questions about authority and police and shooting cops and racism and, 
I mean, you, you really see, and then the occasional, uh, you know, blustery Texan who says, let's secede from the union. You know, and t- we, we clearly, we see these signs of rebelliousness in the human heart. All of us at the core, we wrestle with some variation of the unsurrendered, insubordinate heart. All of us wrestle with this. So... It shouldn't surprise us that the Bible actually has something to say to you and me about it. All right? That's what we're going to look at here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, since it's been since last winter, we, we remember we went through the book of 1 Peter. We bypassed these five sections because I wanted to save them for this season of the year. <clears throat> but if you weren't there, let me just catch up to speed real quick. So Peter, remember, Peter was like one of the inner three disciples among the 12, the apostle Peter. And, um, and back in those days, he was uh, impulsive and uh, you know, made all sorts of mistakes, but 30 years or so has followed, and he's matured. He's much stabler. He's much wiser after 30 years. So he's an older man now, and he's still one of the leaders of all of the Christian church, now that Jesus has gone back to heaven. And he was writing this letter. Peter was an open letter, and he was sending it out to all of the Christians. They would pass it around. They'd read it, and they'd pass it around to the other Christians. Dispersed all around uh, Asia Minor. Why were they dispersed? Well, they had been dispersed because they were fleeing for their lives, for reasons that I'll explain in just a few moments. Okay? So let's talk about what he says to these Christians, fleeing for their lives. Verse 12, he says, live such good lives, Christian, among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that's the key, they accuse you of doing wrong, that they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. All right? Now, what wrongs were the Christians being wrong, uh, falsely accused of, okay? Remember the background. There'd been this great fire in Rome, and scholars are divided on the source of that fire. Some say it was Emperor Nero who himself planned it, staged it, started the fire. Why? Because he wanted to clear out a patch of land to to, to, uh, to, to, to do a big uh, development that he was going to build there. Other scholars say, no, no, he was out of town at that time. It couldn't have been he who started the fire. But regardless of where Nero was, the fire did happen. And they needed somebody to blame for the fire. So they said, you know, those Christians have always been a little quirky. Let's just use them as the scapegoat. We'll pin the fire of Rome on the Christians. And this would unleash waves of persecution on the Christians, getting blamed for a fire that they never started. Now, why, why were they being considered quirky and a little weird? And why, why were they sitting ducks to be, uh, to, 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 to be uh, the scapegoat for the fire? Well, several reasons. People who were not followers of Jesus Christ, they're, they're, some little myths had started up. You know those Christians? They're cannibals. They're cannibals? Yeah, they're cannibals. They come together and they talk about eating the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. They're cannibals. Oh, wow. Weird people. 
Another thing that they'd say of Christians is they say, you know, they're, they're unpatriotic. The Christians are terrible, not patriotic at all. Really, how do you know? Because they will never say Caesar is Lord. They always say Jesus is Lord. They won't ever acknowledge that the Caesar is Lord. Oh, they are unpatriotic, huh? Yeah, and then there was another thing that was going around about the Christians. You know those Christians? They talk about how someday the world is going to be destroyed by fire. Fire? Maybe they're just trying to practice when they started the Roman. So see, there was all these false accusations going on about the Christians. And this unleashed waves of persecution that would befall the Christians. Okay, now, let's go back and let's start it again. I want to read again. Live such good lives, verse 12, among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So live as free people, Peter writes, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect and honor to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, what I want to do in our remaining time is I want to talk about three things. Here's sort of the outline if you're an outline kind of person. The first thing I want to talk about is what exactly was Peter telling them? What was he saying? The second thing I want to talk about is why was he saying this? And the third thing I want to talk about is how can you do it, especially if you don't want to do what he's saying? How? How can I get the internal motivation uh, to do it. Let's talk about the first, the what. What is he saying? He's saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've truly stepped over the line of faith and you've said, I need a savior, I'm following after Jesus, he is my Lord in this cynical, pagan, fallen, sinful world, world he's saying, here's how you're going to live, Christian, in a word, submitted and everybody jumped up and started clapping, right? No, nobody loves that word, right? Submitted, that's how, really? What did he say? Verse 13, submit yourselves, why? For the Lord's sake, whether to the emperor, the governors. He, in fact, circle or underline three key words in that verse. To every human authority, every, yeah, every human authority, underline Governor, underlined emperor. Now, what is Peter doing here? He's basically making sure that the Christians who were reading his letter over in Asia Minor wouldn't do what you and I tend to do. Oh, that's a really nice thing that he's saying, but it doesn't apply to me. Because after all, he could not possibly be talking about me. Does he not remember who the emperor is? It's Nero. That crazy man who's taking Christians, dipping them in kerosene, and turning them into to lanterns to light his night gardens as he hangs them up to burn. Peter couldn't possibly be dead. I mean, this is a nice instruction for some other people. He's not talking, no. Peter's saying, oh no, let's just be, I just, I'm bending over backwards to make sure you understand. I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about even that emperor. I want you to submit to him. 
every authority? Yeah. Now you realize, if he was writing today, if Peter lived 2,000 years now, later, he would write to us, in this culture and context, submit to every authority, the president, the Congress, Supreme Court, the state, the local authorities, like the police. That's what you do if you're a Christian. Every authority. Some of you right now, you're thinking, yeah, but what if I don't like the president, okay? What if I don't like the people that are running for president? Not to them. No, it doesn't matter. Some of you say, well, you know, I, I didn't vote for Obama. It doesn't matter. Some of you, the dishonor that you show our president is sinful. It's sinful. And for others of you, the way that you spoke about George Bush when he was our president, it's sinful. And I think we need to keep this in mind in this highly politicized season. Doesn't mean that you have to agree with any of the politicians. Doesn't mean that you can't have your opinions about their policies. Doesn't mean you can't put a sign in your yard and campaign for certain one that that you're really excited about. But what it does mean at the end of the day is that above all of that, the Christian says there's something going on, and that is some, that's Jesus who stands above every authority. And because I'm surrendered to him, because I'm submitted to him, I'm going to live the way that he says live. So it says submit to them for the Lord's sake. So I'm going to submit to them, whoever that person is in authority, which means we honor, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you honor the office, even if you don't, if you can't honor the officer. Um, even if you can't respect the policy, you got to respect their position. He's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is just how we do it. Okay, that's the what he's saying. Now let's get into the nitty gritty. Why would he say this to them? Why would he say it to us today? Why submit to the authorities? Look at verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Who are these foolish people whom, Jesus, uh, whom Peter was referring to? It was the people that run down Christianity without reason or knowledge. And there were foolish people back then, and it's no less true today, right? There are still people who run down Christianity today. They don't know necessarily what they're talking about, but they just like to trash Christianity and followers of Jesus Christ, which makes the, relevant, the, the, the letter entirely relevant for us even still today. So he's saying, how are you going to respond to those foolish, ignorant people? How are you going to do it? Very graphic word he uses in the, in the original language. He says you're going to put a muzzle on them. Muzzle them. You're going to gag them. You say, okay, now that doesn't sound half bad, all right? <laughs> That's the word he uses, but it's not the method. How are you going to apply that muzzle or that gag upon their mouths that are running down you or Christianity? He says... You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to put that muzzle on them by doing good to them. 
doing good to them. Talk about a confusing instruction. It's confusing for us. You can just imagine how even more confusing it was to the original Christians who lived in a rougher time than we live. Peter is addressing them, and they're afraid they're going to get beheaded. They might get crucified. They might get a sword through them. They might get burned. They might get fed to the lions in the Colosseum. And Peter's saying, be a good citizen. Are you kidding me, Peter? No, he wasn't kidding. It shouldn't surprise us either. Why? Because God's plan for capturing the hearts and the minds and the attention of skeptics and naysayers and cynics throughout history has always been through countercultural means. It's always been through ways that, that you would have never thought. They were expecting the Savior, the King, was going to come on a white horse with armor and power. He came meek and mild as a poor man into the world, born in a stable, always countercultural. And then he came along and he, and he, and he would teach, when you're persecuted, just slug them, but no. He said, forgive them. If they strike you on the cheek, turn the other one. If they ask for money, give them some more. When you could call forth 10,000 angels from heaven to get you out of a bind because you're the very son of God, don't do it. Just go humbly to your cross and die with forgiveness on your lips for those who are doing it to you. See, Jesus was nothing if not countercultural. You study his life and everything about it, it's like, my gosh. He, he did it all different than we instinctively do it. And now he says, you want to follow me? I want you to follow me. I want you to take my gift of salvation. I want you to cross the line of faith. I want, to, I want you to be a Christian. But it'll have to be on my terms. And my terms are countercultural terms. See, that's the part we don't like. That's the part we bristle at, right? <clears throat> we, we tend to say, you know, I, I really like the thought of, of heaven and Jesus and, you know, being a Christian as long as I do it on my own terms in my own way. Jesus says, no, I'm going to say something to that kind of person someday, and those words are, are pretty hard. Depart from me. I never knew you. He said, you don't get to follow me on your terms. You get to follow me on my terms. So take up your cross and follow me. One person wrote, we need to remember that God has established his church as an alternative society. See, you and me, you and I, we are an alternative society. Uh, and, and our job is not to... to to sort of jump in the stream and go with the flow and, and copy this world, but to be distinct and different and countercultural and refreshing and unique so that people who are not followers of Jesus would say, you know, that Christian, he's a little different, but it's different good. Every time I, his, he does the opposite thing I would have done, but it's refreshing. I want to know more about how he can do, why? What's behind that? It's Jesus. 
But the world is, it, it's hard for us, isn't it, to be counterculture? Why? Because the world is discipling you and me. The, the world is always discipling us. Every new fashion, every new trend, every new advertisement is saying jump in the stream and go with our flow. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, no, don't jump in that stream. Jump in my stream and go with my flow. I want you to be different and countercultural. I want you to be kind of like what I was when I was walking on earth. And so Jesus is saying, don't let the world disciple you. Let me disciple you. Let my word disciple you. That's what you need to be taking your, 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 your cues from. That's your playbook. But wouldn't you agree, it's very easy for any of us to, to, to get sort of sucked into the things that are going on around us. And pretty soon, we're living around sin, we start to expect sin, and over time we get more comfortable with sin. And then over more time, we even participate in sin. And he says, oh no, it cannot be that way. What's happening? You're being seduced. And Jesus says, no, but you can't be. Not if you're going to really follow me. I told you, you're, you're going to follow after me, and, and, and we do it different in my kingdom. Um, so we should be influencing others around us. Sort of like uh, an experience that Suzanne and I had recently we were in, when we were in the Woodlands Mall. Uh, it was about lunchtime, and so we decided to go through the, the, by the food court. And we came upon one of those little Asian restaurants, and there was a little lady out there. She had this platter, and she had these samples of these delectable chicken, sweet little chicken things with toothpicks. And she's saying, sample, would you like a sample? And, and so I said, well, I'll have one. And so I took one, and she took one, and, and we both ate it. And instantly we looked at each other and said, I think that is what I would like. I'll have a plate of that, please. And, and, and what was happening? In that moment, unexpected by us, one minute prior, we had come in blank slates and been influenced totally by the sample that she was holding out to us. We'll have that chicken, thank you. And see, the world is always holding out a platter to us and saying, here's how you do it. You know, if they strike you on one cheek, you just punch them back. You just lawyer up. You just, you just go at it. To which Jesus is like, no, 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 don't, you don't eat that trash. You're... I told you I would save you forever. You have everything. The abundant riches of heaven are coming your way. Is it too much for me to ask in the meantime, just for a few more years while you're here on earth, couldn't you hold out samples of me that were unique and different and refreshing? And instead of taking those samples, you said, you know, instead I got something even better. Why don't you sample this? That's the difference that he's asking us to make as his followers today. Peter's telling us God instituted authority, human authority. And he's telling us, uh, since I've established that, this is how the Christian's going to live. And deep down, you and I want authority. We, all of us, want, we think, no, nah, I don't really, yes, you do. Think if you came to every intersection uh, uh, you could uh, as you're driving and there is never a traffic light, there's never a stop sign. That would be, Dreadful, frightening, right? Or think if you were a musician, or just even if you're not, but you like music, and you went to hear an orchestra, and suppose all the musicians on the stage were all, every one of them said, I'm not going to submit to the conductor. I'm not even going to submit to the key. <laughs> he says we're going to play it in G. I think we'll play it in D or A. Okay, so, so that would be crazy. 
it wouldn't work. Suppose you're, you like sports and, and you don't like the call. He was inbounds. He was not out of bounds. You know. But you don't want him to do away with the boundary lines. Just say, you know what? Just run anywhere you want. That's, that's no fun. There's no sport in that. That's just chaos. And so God's word, you see, offers uh, no place for anarchy. There's, there's no place in God's word for a Christian movement of anarchy, as Alex, Alistair Begg points out. So it's important that those of us who know and love and desire to follow after Jesus, that we will uphold the structures of government that have been set in place. And you know that this is true. It has to be true for us. If it was true in Peter's time, which was a much worse, much rougher, much more violent time than ours where uh, abuse of women and child infanticide and sexual licentiousness uh, and idolatry and immorality ran even worse than they run in our world today. If it was true for them, it has to still be true for us who have it even better than the Christians back then 2,000 years. At least in this country, we have it better. Some other countries, they don't have it better. It's more like it was in Bible times these days. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, wait, wait, wait. So must Christians always submit to the government? Must Christians always? I like what James Montgomery Boyce said. Generally, yes. God and government are both authorities, but not quite equal. God belongs in the dominant position. Which means, ultimately, we always obey the government unless the government mandates that we violate God's word. In that instance, we can't. Biblical examples. I can think of several. The first from uh, the book of Exodus. You remember how the Pharaoh was worried that the, the Jewish people, they're multiplying so quickly. So he sent out an order. All the midwives, kill the little baby boys. Right when they're born, just kill them. Because I don't want there to be a revolution of, of Jewish people here in, in Egypt. Just wipe them out. The midwives, they couldn't do that. And so the Pharaoh says, hey, what's going on? There's still baby boys being. And the midwives, they, they said, you know, those Hebrew women, I mean, they're just like really, they just pop them out before we can ever get there. Which was a blatant lie. But what was going on? The Bible says the midwives just understood, we can't do that. You cannot mandate that we have to kill the babies. And the Bible says that God rewarded those midwives with their own children as a result. Or I think in the book of Daniel, we looked at it this time last year, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, two pivotal scenes. You remember uh, in that one scene, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are told you have to, to bow down and worship this, this, this golden object. And they said, we can do a lot of things, but we can't do that because we can only worship the one true God. And so if that means we got to go into the fiery furnace, then throw us in because we can't do that. And Daniel, he, he's in a similar situation where they, where they say, you cannot pray, not even in your own home, you cannot pray to, to, to anything other than to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he said, Daniel said, I can't do that. And so he went home and opened up the window and, and he prayed. He said, even if it means you got to throw me in the, in the lion's den. And 
it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar, was it? It was Darius by that point, I think. And, um, and, and so he had to go in the lion's den. God still took care of him. Or I think in Acts chapter 5 of when the early apostles, they're going out and they're preaching. And they're saying that Jesus is risen. He can change your life. Nah, 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 nah. And the authorities come and they clamp down. And they say, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And the, the Christians said, um, sorry, you got it wrong. I mean, judge whether it's right in your sight for us to obey God or to obey man. We, we have to. We, we have to preach. So now I know what's going on right now. Some of you are like, okay, that kind of lets the pressure off this sermon. And uh, that's kind of really what I wanted to hear because I really don't want to submit. And no, no, wait, 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 uh-uh. Let me tighten it back up for us all. Let me ask you something. When has our government in America, where we are right now, when has the government, when has the law told you you must kill babies we've never you've never been in that situation um when has the american law told you you can't pray not even in your you cannot you may not pray even in your own home hadn't happened or what about um you you can't go out and tell other people about jesus you can't do that that's not part of American law. That may be part of your business places, but it's not American law. We'll talk more about the business place and jobs and everything next week. Now, I realize in other parts of the world, and I mentioned it a moment ago, these atrocities are happening in other parts of the world. And Christians there, and we should be praying for them who are being persecuted, they are having to navigate, okay, how do I live as a Christian? How do I be a Christian in this government that is saying that? Which makes it much more similar to the days of the Pharaoh uh, or Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego than we are. And I'm not saying that America won't ever get there. And I hope and pray that it won't. And it might in five or 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years. I don't know. But heretofore, we're not there yet. Which means we have a lot more to learn about submission than we have to learn about navigating. Um, rebelliousness in a, in, a, in a tactful sort of way. So there's one more thing we need to talk about. How? I mean, I, I hear the what, I hear the, the why, but how do I do it? When deep down, my heart is rebellious. I don't want to submit uh, to those people. I, the key comes in verse 16. Look at this. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, what's going on here? He's reminding us, hey, as followers of, of mine, your identity is, is in Christ. That's who your identity, that's where you're, he spent most of the surrounding chapters in this letter reminding us of here's who you are, here's who you are, here's who you are. Eight times in the letter he's told us, remember, you are God's dearly beloved children. You're children of God and as such, you've been born into a living hope and you've been given this imperishable inheritance that you're moving towards in heaven. You're gonna be with the Father in heaven forever. That's who you are, that's who you are. 
You have to know who you are if you're going to try to figure out, how am I going to live? You have to get that part settled first. But once you begin to realize, here's who I am, then you begin to realize, oh, so this world really isn't my final place. No, this world is just a hotel you checked in for a few years to before you move on to your eternal place with him. See, we, we tend to forget that about planet Earth and our existence right here. He said, no, 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 your citizenship, it's sure on the surface, on the, uh, on the uh, 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 one level, you are citizens of this world, but as followers of mine, you're, you know better. Your real citizenship is in heaven. That's really, so I need you to live by heaven's protocol, not the world's way of doing things. So that's why he can say, so you're free. What do you mean I'm free? Yeah, you belong to Jesus, so you're free to do what Jesus says. And he says in this situation, do the countercultural thing. Submit, serve, surrender. So just do it. Why? Because you're free to. <laughs> you're free. Because you already, your, your sins have been paid for. You've been bought with a price of Jesus, so you're free. You just, just, so you don't have to spend any time or energy trying to figure it out. No, you're free from that. So just serve. Just submit. Nero's the emperor today. Yesterday it was Claudius. Tomorrow it'll be Domitian. But doesn't matter. Submit to the laws of the land. Be a good citizen. Let your light shine for as long as the Lord leaves you here, he was saying. You're not really anybody's slave. You're not really anybody's servant except Jesus. That's who you belong to. So Obama's the president today. Yesterday it was Bush. Tomorrow it'll be Clinton or Trump. Christian, it doesn't matter. You get to submit to the laws of the land. You're free to. Why? Because you've already been bought at a price by Jesus. And he said, here's how I want you to be countercultural, unique, distinct, refreshing, setting out samples that the world will say there's something unique and different about that Christian. You get to do that. You're free to do that. Besides, as Chuck Colson wrote some years ago, the kingdom of God will never arrive on Air Force One. And I think some of us Americans throughout history have thought the kingdom will arrive on, it will not ever arrive on Air Force One. The kingdom is Jesus. It's about him. Only he brings ultimately the kingdom. And that's where our citizenship is. So realize you're not really anybody's slave except Jesus's. You belong to the real king. So use your freedom to submit. Really, it was real clever what Peter was doing. He was, he was turning, uh, as Richard Foster points out, he was turning people who had, who had no freedom to make decisions, he was, he was turning them into the decision makers. He was saying, oh, you do have a choice. You get to make the choice. You have that freedom in Christ. So use your freedom well and submit. Be a representative for me. And realize, friends, 
how much pressure this takes off of you. Do you realize how much pressure it takes off of you? It, really, it's, it's just what the gospel does as well. People go through life and they're trying to figure out how can I, how can I do enough good things uh, to please God so that maybe, just maybe, at the end of my life, my good things will outweigh my bad things and he'll say you can come into heaven. And, 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 and that's typically how everybody thinks until they find out about the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news, which says clearly, oh, no, 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 no. You're putting way more pressure on yourself than you could ever come through with. You can never do enough good things to outweigh your bad things. And that's why we who follow Jesus point out that Christianity has always been about this good news of our God who looked down upon us in and mercy and grace and pity and said, you know what? You can't fix the problem from your side. So he sent his only son to put on human clothing and he condescended to become a man, just a person. And he lived a life of perfection that you and I could never live. And then he died the death of suffering and consequence that you and I all deserved. And then he rose victoriously and says, now if you will link yourself to me by faith and you'll be my follower, then I can assure you, you too will have life everlasting. Do you realize how much pressure that takes off of you? I want the gospel. I could never balance the scales otherwise. I want Jesus. He says, great. Now, here's another great thing that you're gonna get to do. You get to submit. What? Yeah, you get to. You get to. You're freed up from having to settle this. You're free. So just live now in a distinct way. Let me close it out with a word picture that will bring it all together. Suppose you're a parent and you have a child and uh, the child uh, goes over for a play date to a friend's house. And suppose after merely an hour, the, the, the mom calls you and says, you, not, you need to come and pick up your child. And you get over there and, and she says, I'm sorry, this play date was ill-fated from the beginning and I have to tell you why your child is disrespectful rude shouting would never use a quiet voice you know and and when we said let's pick up the toys said no I'm not going to pick up any toys and then when we sat down to eat and we set the food down he picked up his plate and he threw the plate at the window and and it shattered and all the food is we, we just we can't handle your child how would you feel in that moment or you'd feel terribly embarrassed. Why would you feel embarrassed? Because your child is a representative of you. You're their parent. They're kind of a reflection of you. Now flip it over. Suppose your child goes to her play date, spends the night. The next day you go to pick the child up and the mom says, oh my gosh, your kid is the best kiddo. I th- we love having him here. He's a great influence on my kids. He's so respectful. He's so polite. He offered to pick up all the toys before I could even say, let's pick up all the toys. And when we sat down to eat, he, he ate everything and then said, could I have more broccoli? And at that point, <clears throat> you're looking inside the door to make sure, are we talking about the same kid here? But if that happened, how do you feel in that moment? In that moment, you feel honored. You feel proud. Why? Because your child is a reflection of you. They represent you. So in everything that we've talked about today, what we need to hear is the Father saying, you, Christian, are my representative. 
You are a reflection of me. And so in this world that is dark, that is lost, that is cynical, that is filled with naysayers and skeptics and cynics and, and all, all I'm asking in return for what I'm giving you and will give you and have given to you, I'm asking you to be something that's unique and distinct and different. Give them Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I confess, it's easier to preach that sermon than it is to live that sermon. Because at the core of every one of our hearts is depravity and selfishness and insubordination and rudeness and the propensity to think, I'm just a little bit better than them. But we come to a passage like this, especially in highly politicized times where there's all sorts of questions about the government. And, and it's so easy for us to, to take matters into our own hands and, and move beyond appropriate uh, conversation and even campaigning to acting as if really it all rises and falls on whether our guy or gal wins as if Air Force One could ever deliver the kingdom, the real Savior. We know that's impossible. Forgive us, Lord, for that. I pray that as we move into this new school year, Lord, that you would give us all grace. Grace to listen to what you've been saying to us for 2,000 years in your word. And not just to listen, but then to act accordingly. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ in the first place, I invite you, even in this quiet moment right now, you just open up your heart and say, I want you, Jesus. I want what you came from heaven to earth, taking the form of a man dying on the cross. I want that, that to apply to me because I want to have life. And I'm asking you to come into my heart today. And in the coming days, I want to learn what does it mean to follow after you. Won't you give us grace to do that, Lord. Thanks for this time and thanks for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello and welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre and I am joined today by Pastor Ken Warline who just finished part one of the Surrender series. Thank you so much, Ken, for being here today. Now there were a ton of questions sent in, a ton of questions and a lot of emotions in those questions. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to read a statement that was sent in that I think encapsulates a lot of those emotions and I'm, I want to hear your response to this right. statement. So this is a statement that was sent in. The only way to achieve change is to stand up and band together as Christians, to show the world that we are not okay with the corrupt politicians that are destroying the core of this country. Laying down would only allow the godless liars and thieves who are now in office to strip Christianity out of every part of our lives. I wholeheartedly believe Jesus would want us to stand up and say enough is enough to try and save our country from ruins. Hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, Instinctively, I, I I get this, and could 
easily nod in approval to to all of this. I mean, I grew up in a traditional uh, family, uh, rather conservative family, politically uh, not particularly involved, but at least interested and in, in active in, in, you know, that sort of way. And so I get this sentiment. Uh, but when the, the writer says, uh, I, I firmly believe Jesus would say, stand up and say, well, you're going to be hard pressed to find that Jesus in the Bible. Okay. Um, now, I get it. And, and if left to my own devices and, and just say, well, I'm, I'm not going to look at God's word, I could say, yeah, let's band together. But I think this is where we are going to have to... to submit ourselves to what does the Bible really say? What did Jesus really do? And, and here's what we're going to discover. And, and that is, uh, first of all, America, which I love, and we do the big 4th of July and the fireworks and the red, white, and blue. I love that stuff. I grew, that's, again, that's, I get that. Patriotism, I love it. Um, but I love Jesus more. And I think what we have to, to remember, as followers of Jesus, we're part of a different kingdom, uh, which doesn't negate the part that we, we're, we're still Americans right now, or if, if you're living in a different country, you're that country. And, but I think what helps us is to, what will help us is to realize, okay, these words that were written that I preached about today were written to Christians, millions of Christians throughout history who've lived in other parts of the world than just America, and just America at that, that only existed for 200 and something years um, over here, because we get a very ethnocentric way of reading God's word through the, through the red, white, and blue, to which Jesus says, that's not, you can't start with the red, white, and blue. I'm writing this to Christians in China, to Christians in Nigeria, to Christians uh, in, in all parts of the world. Now, this is what makes it very hard for us um, Americans right now who are Christians. Conveniently and gratefully, we'll take it as a gift from, from the Lord. Much of American history, especially if you're Anglo uh, and male, um, for the last 200 years has uh, dovetailed very conveniently with the Judeo-Christian uh, outlook, values, ethos, um, morals. So it has been, for the better part of our history, uh, very easy to say, well, America is a Christian country. Uh, how do you get there? Well, because what America stands for is what the Christian moral stands for. They look very similar, and many people, unfortunately, have bought into the myth that America is thoroughly and always has been and always will be a Christian place. No, they dovetailed very nicely, but there were plenty of people who never were Christians who were Americans, but they still did a lot of the same things that Christians did and didn't do a lot of the things that Christians didn't do. And therefore, they looked very similar. Now, those tectonic plates are shifting and the Christians are are grasping and panicking and saying, no, bring them back together, bring them back together. We need an American country again. I mean, a Christian, we need to be a Christian. Well, 
were we ever really? Some have argued, some scholars say, we probably don't have any less Christian, real Christians today in America than we did 50 and 100 years ago. But do you not feel the do you not feel that the Christian values are slipping away and do Americans not have a responsibility to try to shift those plates back together? Well, I, where they synchronize with God's word, sure. yes. Where they don't, no. Okay. Um, so I think going back to where we started, we have to, to frame this in a, in a greater worldwide context than just starting in and looking at the red, white, and blue and going from there and saying, this is what Jesus would, well, I think you're gonna have a hard time to actually prove that. Well, I, and I think what people might be afraid of is that the further the, the plates shift away from one another, the more the possibility of persecution and things like that that could arise from us becoming less and less of a, of a Christian nation um, so is that something that we shouldn't try to fight against or is that something we just embrace? Or? Yeah, well, so here's, here's, here's again where, where context is everything. We have to, to frame our existence right now in this country against a broader backdrop. Where was, who was Peter, what, what was the, the context that Christianity was born in? It was a violent, vile world and Christians were being fed to the lions and beheaded and, and, and burned and, right. you know, terrible things. And did they band together and say, you know, we're not going to take anyone. No, that's not what they did. Okay. Why? Because Peter advised them, instructed them the way that Jesus had always instructed his followers. Say, no, you're going to do the countercultural thing. You're going to band together, but you're going to be uh, uh, um, a community leading a revolution of love. Okay. But what if we get killed? Yeah, well, you'll be in heaven. Okay. And Christians are facing that right now in other parts of the sure. world. And please, Lord, that it doesn't come that way to America. It may. But the good thing, uh, the hopeful thing, I think, for us is the realization that throughout history, Christianity never does better than when uh, persecution is greater. Okay. And conversely, real Christianity, not look-alike Christianity, right. never does worse than when there's, there's, there's no heat on the stove. Okay. And that, I'm afraid, is where America has been mm. in the recent decades. Um, so you'd say it almost made us complacent a little bit. It has. Yeah. And sort of, and, and therefore you have a lot of people who, um, you know, I don't want to be persecuted. Let me be the first to say, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be beheaded or something for my faith. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't deny when you look at the history of the church, that how it began in those first several hundred years, what happened in China 60 or 70 or 80 years ago, um, whenever the the, the, the screws have been tightened up on Christians. Christianity spreads. It's contagious. Why? Because the Christians are different. Even to death, they, they're gracious, they're loving, they're forgiving, they're contagious. They're setting something out on the sample platter that the world says there is something altogether different about you.
Okay. And see, I'm afraid there's nothing altogether different about the, the writer thinking here. You just okay. well, that's just, well, right. This is where I'm afraid it's not what Jesus would say. Right. So we need to zoom out past our purely American perspective, maybe even zoom out so far that we have more of an internal perspective. Exactly. Okay. So there was, a, there was another question that, that was sent in um, that had to do with submission. Um, and there was a person who wanted to know what you think the difference is between submitting to authority and respecting authority. And so the example that they gave was that they said that Jesus didn't submit himself to Pilate, but he respected Pilate's authority. And so I want to know what your response would be, hear your yeah, thoughts on that. Parsing out the difference. Um, Right. So we respect the office, even though maybe we can't respect the officer sort of thing. Um, well, I would, you know, I guess we'd have to, to wrestle with this a moment. I think he did submit okay. himself because he ended up dead on a cross. Mm. Um, and so, so I think probably what we have to wrestle with is if if a person were to say you have to respect the 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 person the officer but you don't have to submit to them um that is an oxymoron you 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 can't that's i don't know how you do that now flip it christians throughout history right here in first peter right now in other parts of the world are and have been killed for their faith in Jesus. Do you think they respected the people that were beheading them or you know, shooting them or however it was? I don't imagine they respected them, but what did they do? They did what Jesus did. They submitted sure. themselves to this. Sure. And so uh, if you are gonna, uh, paint yourself into a corner and say, I'll only go with one. Well, you have to go with, I'm going to submit. Right. So, so to respect without submission would be a paradox, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so there were quite a few questions sent in about uh, conscientious objectors, actually, whether to, sure. to war or, or maybe in civil disobedience or things sure. like that. And there are some issues which are pretty black and white. And so if the government were to come to us and say, you have to pray to bail, that's pretty black and white. We would say, no, we cannot do that. Right, right. Um, but there are other issues that are more gray. When do I object to a war or submit myself um, or, or civil disobedience, for instance? Um, when do I know? Yeah. Uh, basically, the question is, how do I decide when is it appropriate to submit to authority and when is it appropriate not to submit to authority? Right. Okay. So... Uh, let's go back to sort of the the, uh, the point that I was trying to make in the message, and that is, uh, to quote James Montgomery Boyce, there, there are two authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the government and there's God. And as long as the government doesn't try to usurp God, we always yield to the government. Okay. If, though, the government comes along and s- moves into this position and says, uh, 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 no, to something God has said yes to, or says yes to something God has said no to, you must, um, then that's the point at which we, you know, have to say, I, I can't do that. Okay. So you gave a good example. 
an easy one would be if the government says you must pray to Baal or to this person or that person or we could easily say I can't do that as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now you've brought up one uh, Adam that uh, is, is more difficult and that is uh, when you get into uh, conscientious objection, uh, passivism, um, you know, uh, civil disobedience, right. some of these sorts of things. I think the question behind the question is a deeper question. Okay. How much can I not submit to the government and not be in sin? Right, because it seems like a trap. Right. Sometimes if you submit to the government, you'd be breaking God's law, but if you sure. break God's law. Sure, so for example, the, the soldier who is told, who's drafted and says, you, you, you know, we're going to fight those people. Right. And says, well, all right, I, it's not really my cup of tea, but if this is what we have to do, I'm submitting, I'm, you know. But you get into it and, and you as the soldier begin to realize, uh, wow, this is genocide. We're uh, exterminating all the Jewish people, you know, or some other such group, you know, um, now maybe at this point I'm going to have to wrestle with this, and, which is clearly what Christians did right. in uh, World War II. In fact, you were telling me uh, before we started, to, to talk about the, the white, what was it called? The white, the white rose. Yeah. yeah, so the white rose, they were a group of um, college students that were predominantly Christian that um, opposed the war, opposed Germany um, and uh, all of their actions during World War II. And so one of the ways in which they objected was they um, wrote up these leaflets and they, on the leaflets they would list all the different ways that um, Germany was committing these different evil, horrible atrocities mm -hmm. and they would also break down how um, all the things that the German government was doing were went against the gospel of Jesus because yeah. the German government claimed that they were a Christian government sure. at the right. time. And so the whole, the whole point of this pamphlet was to try to wake up the people of Germany to show, hey, this war is not okay. Like what we're doing is evil. We are on the wrong side of this, yeah. of this battle. And so these college students, they would go in the middle of the night and they would disperse them all throughout Germany. Um, and eventually the allies found some of these pamphlets and ended up printing up thousands and thousands of copies and just dropped them all over Germany. Right. Now, many of the members of the White Rose were captured and some of them were uh, killed uh, for acts of treason against the government. Others were free right, um, right after the right. Well, surrendered. But. Yeah, so there's an interesting story of the way one group of people uh, dealt with it. I think probably it's impossible in a forum like this to just give a blanket, well, this is inbounds and that's out of bounds, and this is inbounds and that's inbounds, but that's too far, no, you can't do that. I think this is where um, we have to, to rely on several things. We have to rely on God's word, on our ability to talk and listen to God, and the, the benefit of the church, okay. the community of Christians that comes together and says, okay, I'm wrestling very, very much with this, I'm being told you must do this um, or you must never do this and yet I see God's word is saying the opposite right. and I'm trying to figure out how do I, 
I don't want to sin against God and I don't want to be unsubmitted to the government and how, how do I arrange this? And I think this is where serious Christians throughout history have had to come together and wrestle and pray and search God's word and have come out at different points as well. Uh, let's be clear to say that as, as well. And so this is basically the, the question of how do I know personally when to submit and when not to submit is not a question you should be answering on your own. No. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I think some of them are easy. If they say, sure. like the, the Baal one again, you right. have to worship this. Well, that's easy. You would, would, but, but on some of these other ones, they get much more complex. Right. Especially, we have to, yeah. we have to, com to uh, depend upon community. Absolutely. Not just any community, but the Christians and the serious Christians who really love God and love God's word and, and want to do what his will is. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, so one last question. Um, this person wrote in, how and what can we do to transform our hearts to become more humble? And how can we gain more grace? Well, this goes back to the gospel, the good news. We have to re-gospel ourselves every single day. Right. And uh, what is the gospel? The good news that while we were rebels, while we were sinners, while we were sheep that had gone astray, he said, I'm coming after you. And when we began to realize I'm in a bad place and started devising our methods for working our way out of that pit and, and trying to... To, to, to work our way back into a favorable position to, to, with God, he said, no, you can't do that. It will never work. I'm coming to get you. It's all about me and what I've done for you and what I'm doing for you and what I will do for you. And he sent Jesus and Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. And he says, so you just link yourself to me. And I think we have to just come back to that every single day. And as we do, our hearts melt and where we were feeling, like my son, a little bit better than them a little while ago, we begin to realize I'm not better than them. Um, I might have different opinions. I might have a different approach, but I'm not better. I'm, I'm a gospel person. I'm a follower of Jesus, and my life is surrendered to him, and so I'm going to submit to the structures that he's put in place, and I'm going to bank on the, uh, both his promise and th the proof that history provides that going this countercultural route will, over the long haul, bear more fruit than if I say, to heck with this Bible stuff. I'm going to stand up and say, this is what Jesus, well, no, yeah. that's never what we found in, in God's Word. I think it's especially crucial with these issues of when or when not to submit to authority because like you said, I mean, they, it can just cause all these emotions to build up into, in us and it can cause us to maybe act out of those emotions and reconnecting with Jesus helps us to prevent us from maybe um, doing something that Absolutely. we wouldn't want us the, to do. The more that I can allow my heart to be melted, right. the more I realize, okay, uh, because we so typically make it all about us. That's just human nature. And we're going to keep going with this. I mean, we're going to move into the, the message next week um, where we're talking about uh, 
our employers, our bosses, and uh, what then? Well, there's going to be some challenges, um, and uh, so a couple of twists, and I'm going to share a story or two from my own life as, as well. So we're going to keep the conversation going because this is hard stuff. Now we're into upper level Christianity. This is beyond just get her started level Christianity. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road. Nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. I'm very much looking forward to part two next week. And thank you so much, Pastor Ken, for being here with us. And thank you all for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.